Good morning, and welcome to church. We're so excited that you could gather with us from wherever you're watching from. If this is your first time joining us, we'd love to start a conversation, answer any questions you might have, or give you more information. Simply text hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll reply right back. Thanks for joining us. We hope you have a great day. Good morning. I'm Pastor Bev Sessink, Associate Pastor here at Calvary Community. We're glad that you're joining us online and those of you here in person as well. Seeing in Technicolor reminds me as a child of watching television in black and white and then in color. While seeing in black and white was good, seeing in Technicolor was great. Seeing things as they actually were, and hopefully today we will see what the Bible has to say with increased understanding and a willing application. Now a brief summary of the book of the Philippians would be appropriate. The Apostle Paul, a leader in the early Christian church, authored this book in approximately A.D. 62 while he was in prison in Rome. He sends the Church of Philippi a letter of thanks, commending them for their generosity. And by his own example, he calls upon the Christians to rejoice in every situation, even in the midst of the challenging situation they found themselves in, seeing Jesus Christ as their example of how to live. And so today's And so today's sermon is titled, Live Like You Were Dying, based on a sermon by Pastor David Platt. And I want to say that I will be speaking to myself as much as or more as to all of us today. To put it bluntly, we live in a culture that is deeply committed to comfort, health, and safety, which is not surprising if this is a life and all that is, which is not... Let me say that again. If this, is, if this life is all there is, then we want to make it as comfortable, as long, and as pleasure-filled as possible to get more and better and nicer and newer possessions, to build bigger homes, larger saving accounts, and RSPs to protect you just in case. Avoid risk. Maximize reward. Live your best life now. This is success according to our culture. And what's sobering, though, is the way that this perspective has not only penetrated our culture, but also the people of God, you and me, our lives, our families, and the church. A couple of years ago, a pastor was talking with a professor at a Christian university. He was told that the trustees of the school had forbidden pastors or professors to take students on missions overseas to countries where there may be risk involved. The pastor asked, Do they not want the students to obey the Great Commission, to share the good news of Jesus Christ in places and with people who've never heard of him? The professor said, oh, the trustees aren't the biggest barrier. The biggest barrier is the parents. Even if the trustees allow trips to countries where there is some risk, parents of the Christian students won't let them go because they think it's too dangerous. The parents won't go, and they're sure not letting their children go either. Parents, if that is your perspective, we may call ourselves Christians, but we are not following Jesus Christ. We in the church need a totally different perspective than our culture. What if, in these ways, the worldview of our culture is completely wrong? What if this life is not all there is? What if God never intended this to be our best life now? 
What if there is something that is infinitely more important in your life and family than health, comfort, and safety? What if missing this actually means missing the whole point of your life? The Apostle Paul was in prison for proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he said in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 12 to 30, found in the New Living Translation of the Bible and read by my wife, Mandy. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ, they preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I am torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith which is the good news. Don't be intimidated by any of your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, 
but that you are going to be, dis- to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in the struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. Christ is your life. To begin with, do you hear the word that God is saying? For the Christian, for every true follower of Christ, he is your life. Plain and simple, Christ is your life. When you truly believe, trust in Jesus Christ, then you have life. The apostle says it explicitly in verse 21. Living means living for Christ. Jesus is his life. It's all over what we've just read. In verse 13, he says his imprisonment is for whom? It is for Christ. In verse 18, he says, what is the most important thing is that Jesus Christ is proclaimed. That's what makes me joyful. That's what brings life to me. In verse 20, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. And in verse 23, I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. It's like if I'm out of town on a long trip, and I'm sending a text to Mandy saying, I miss you so much. I can't wait to be home with you. I want to be away from wherever I am so that I can be at home with her. And that's how the Apostle Paul felt about Christ. He just wanted to be with Jesus. He can't wait to be out of here and be with him. We jump over to Philippians 2 where the Apostle Paul talks about how great and glorious Jesus is. He tells how Jesus, God in the flesh, came to us in love as a humble servant. He gave up his divine privilege and became obedient to the point of dying on a cross for our sins. Then he rose from the dead and is now worshipped as ruler over all things. After this beautiful picture of Jesus, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3, where he's talking to a group of people called Judaizers, people who are letter of the law people, and calling them out for how they're defining success. Essentially, he tells them, no one can compete with me when it comes to experiencing success in this world. In the middle of verse 4, the Apostle Paul starts by listing some of the highlights of his resume. He says, if anyone else has reason for confidence in themselves, I have more. Family heritage, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul's roots, his Jewish roots, were thick. He was born not just to the people of Israel, but to the tribe of Benjamin. We learn from the Old Testament that was the tribe Israel received its first king, Saul, after whom Paul was named. You can't beat his Jewish family heritage. Then social status. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Basically, he's in the upper echelons of Jewish life, high class. He's at the pinnacle of the Jewish social structure. Biblical knowledge. As to the law, a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were known for their love of the law of God, for their strict interpretation and zealousness for obedience to the law. For religious activity, Paul is saying, I know the word of God. And then he backed it up with religious activity. And now he wasn't just mildly religious. He was zealous in his religion. He was on a mission. As for moral lifestyle, Paul said, 
And as for righteousness, I obey the law without fault. Do you want to see somebody who follows all the rules and keeps all the law? Nobody could compare with Paul. I want you to consider that resume and think about what these have in common. Family heritage, social status, biblical knowledge, religious activity, and a moral lifestyle. What do they have in common? They're all good things. Family heritage isn't bad. Social status, not necessarily bad by any means. Biblical knowledge is not bad. Religious activity or moral lifestyle, these are all great things. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says next in verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. And just in case we didn't hear him the first time, he says it again. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he says for a third time, for his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. The word garbage is literally dung, feces. He just took all the good and valuable things in a life and he called them garbage. That is compared to knowing Jesus Christ. He says, I would gladly lose all these things just so I could know Christ. In verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Christ is his life. He really believes that the best things of this world are like garbage in comparison to Christ. And that is a very different way to think. That is a very different way to live. That is radically different Christianity than the one that is so often practiced in our culture, in churches even like ours. This is so important. I can't emphasize this enough. Uh, if at the back, if you would take over the uh, clicking because I'm having a problem up here. The danger is that you can have all these things in the world, a good family, good social status, nice house, nice car, nice job, nice vacations, you can have biblical knowledge and religious activity on top of that. You can lead a good, moral, decent, upstanding life. You can have all these things and still not have Jesus Christ. I'm not asking, do you go to church? Have you prayed a prayer? What kind of vehicle do you drive? How successful are you in your business? How moral of a life are you living? How much biblical knowledge do you have? The important question is, do you know Jesus Christ? Is he your life? Is your life such that you would say, all the best things in your life, family, finances, possessions, pleasures, comfort, safety, health, wealth, success, they don't compare to the treasure you have in Christ. Isn't, it, isn't this the testimony of men and women throughout history? God help us. God make us like Job. If you take away all of it, my land, my home, my possessions, my health, my children, and even my own wife cursing me, I will still have my joy and my hope and my life because my Redeemer lives. God, make us like men and women throughout Christian history. Just like Christians today, a quarter billion 
250 million Christians continue to be persecuted today, discriminated against, harassed, imprisoned, tortured, and over 100,000 each year who are martyred for their faith. Literally, in the hour we, we meet, people will be dying for Jesus Christ, choosing death over life because of him. Just under 300 people per day. And this is huge. This is such a different way to think and to live. And it affects everything. It affects the way you view possessions in this world. You realize they're garbage. This affects the way you view so many pursuits and pleasures that this world puts in front of you. They're all garbage compared to knowing, gaining, treasuring, and loving Jesus Christ. He is your life. So is that true, that Jesus is your life like that? Then follow his next point. When Jesus is your life, then suffering is a gift. If what we've been talking about so far has been crazy in this world, could we consider suffering a gift? Going back to Philippians 1 and looking at verse 29, this is a weird verse, very strange. The Apostle Paul says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. What does that mean? For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting Christ, Okay, that makes sense. It's a gift to believe in Christ, to receive salvation in Christ, to believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he loved us enough to come and to die for our sins. Absolutely, that's a gift, a gift to believe in Christ. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He is saying there's another gift as well. Great. What's the other gift? The gift of suffering for him. What kind of gift is that? Have you ever been given a gift you didn't want? You didn't ask for this? Suffering has been granted, given to you? Imagine this invitation, becoming a Christian and get a gift. What's the gift? Suffering. Who wants that gift? How in the world do you see suffering as a gift? I'm so glad you asked. Here's how. Think about what suffering is. Suffering, when simplified, is when the things that we want, the things that we love, things that we desire and enjoy, oftentimes really good things, are taken away from us. People, family, friends. When we lose somebody we love, we suffer. When a spouse dies, we suffer. When we lose health, when we're struck with disease and pain, we suffer. When we lose money, when we lose a job, we suffer. When we lose all these things we've been talking about, we suffer. Comfort, health, safety, and on and on and on. Oftentimes, these good things are taken away from us, sometimes by circumstances in our control, but many times by circumstances out of our control. Regardless of when and how they're taken away from us, we suffer when you have already taken all the best things of this world has to offer and you put them in a column under loss and then you put Christ in a column under gain, then when one or more of these things are taken away from you, it's easy. No, it's not easy. I want to be clear. I'm not saying, and the Bible is not saying that suffering is easy. 
losing great and good things in this world, people we love, our health, and on and on is not easy. The pain is real. The tears are many. Suffering becomes a gift when treasuring a Christ above all is your goal. When Christ is your life, and one, more, one or more of these things are taken away from you, then in the end, the suffering, the taking away of those things, only drives you more to Him. Suffering becomes a gift when treasuring Christ above everything is your goal. I'm thinking of an Iranian pastor who said he was in prison for his faith. He had nowhere else to turn. Prison made him a man of prayer and a man of the Word. Prison made him a man of faith. Prism caused him to cling to Christ like he had never clung to Christ before. Do you see this as a gift? If you do, then you realize that the dangerous place is not in prison, but in comfort and safety. Because imprisonment, being in danger for your faith, causes you to cling to Christ. Whereas comfort and safety oftentimes causes you to cling to this world. That's the dangerous place to be. Nowhere in the Bible do we see any encouragement to pursue suffering, to pursue persecution, or even to die for our faith. That's called martyrdom, and that's just plain dumb. We don't do that. But when we pursue Christ in a world of suffering, then we will experience suffering. And the more that suffering takes things away from our lives, the more we will be drawn to Christ. Do you realize that what this treasuring of Christ above all things means in your life? And please don't miss this. The Bible is showing us a rock-solid foundation for security, joy, peace, hope, and life in this turbulent world of suffering. When you're treasuring Jesus Christ over and above everything in this world, then there is nothing in this world to rob you of your joy, your hope, your peace in your life, because you have all these things in Christ, and nothing can ever take that away from you. Cancer can't take that away from you. Nothing. This is why the Apostle Paul speaks this way about his imprisonment. When my freedom is taken away, it is not easy. But it is good. Why? Because Christ is being honored. This is not just true of the Apostle Paul's life. It's not just about him, and it's not just about you, and it's not just about me. In the providence of God, suffering leads to the spread of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to others. Suffering leads you, not just you and me, but to the treasure that Christ is. Suffering leads us to him, to treasure him more than anything else. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He's saying, here... I'm in prison. My freedom is gone, but look what's happening as a result. The whole imperial guard is hearing about Christ. The gospel is being preached all over the place. Then he says point blank, I don't want to be suffering in prison here. I don't want to be here anymore. I desire to depart and to be with Christ. That would be better far. It's not even close for Paul. Then he says, but I want you to know the treasure that's found in Christ. So I'm glad to stay here toward that end, that you might know him, that you might know how good he is. Don't miss the connection here between suffering and the spread of the gospel. Think about it. 
if you, you and I profess faith in Christ and everything goes well for us, then the world will not take notice of that. The world will see us just like everybody else who has all the comforts, all the stuff, all those things of this world. And then you tack on Jesus on Sundays. Big deal. Nice for you. But here's where things will take a decidedly different turn. When you lose some of the most valuable and precious gifts in this world, in the middle of the suffering, and you have joy and peace and hope because Christ is your life, then the world will take notice of that. When a child is born with special needs, that will totally change the course of your life and family. And like many families, you're exhausted every single day caring for those needs. Yet in the middle of your weakness, the strength of Christ is sufficient for me. The world will take notice of that. When that cancer is killing your blood cells and you're walking through indescribable pain, it's not that the pain isn't real. But in the midst of the pain, you can say, Christ alone is my peace. The world will take notice of that. When you get that diagnosis that you only have months to live, then you live out those months with hope rather than despair because Christ is your life. Then the world will take notice of that. A Christian who had liver cancer and desperately needed a transplant found out he didn't qualify for one. Yet he said, I'm sending out prayer updates of all kinds to all kinds of people every week and I'm sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with every single one of them. Like Paul, these words were literally his words. I just want Christ to be glorified whether I live or die. That's a different way to live and that's a different way to die. When you lose that person you love and we're dependent on, you may be grieving like you've never grieved before. Yet, if in the middle of that grief you can say, I trust Christ, I know he will take care of me, the world takes notice of that. When Christ is your life, then dying is gain. When Christ is your life, not only is suffering a gift, but also dying is gain. The Apostle Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is okay too. No, it's gain. It's better. How is that possible? Let's put this all together. When even the best things in this world are under one column under loss, and Christ is in under the other column of gain, then when literally everything is taken from you, your family, your spouse, your children, your possessions, your job, your health, your breath, when it's all gone, then what will you have? you will have Christ. And you will have him as you've never had him before. You'll have him more fully and more finely than you've ever had him before. You will have Christ. So this is the question for each of us. Let this land on your heart right where you are sitting. Do you love Jesus Christ so much that to lose everything in order to be with him would be gain for you? That is a radical way to live, and that's a radical truth to believe. As a pastor, I sense as I'm preaching that this is totally against the grain of every message we hear in our culture, and often in our church culture. I'm urging you to believe that Jesus Christ is better, better than falling in love, better than marrying and having healthy children and seeing your children grow up 
and making a name for yourself and finishing your career and having your dream home and your dream vacations and dream retirement. Christ is better than all of those things. Christ is better than life itself. When you believe this, then you will live so differently in this world. You won't run after all this world says you want and says that you need. You'll see your life in its proper perspective. And then it will just make sense to sacrifice your possessions, your plans, your dreams, your comforts, and safety. It will just make sense to sacrifice your life to make the goodness and the greatness and the glory of Christ known wherever God leads you in this world. Now it will make sense to take this gospel of Jesus Christ to difficult, risky places and to gladly send your kids there as well. For now, because of Christ, the worst that could happen, death, actually becomes the best thing that could happen. In Christ, the worst thing that could happen to you will become the best thing that will happen to you. That transforms the way you view comfort and health and safety in this world. It totally transforms everything when Christ is your life. It's one thing to preach this. It's another thing to talk about this. It's another thing to live it as well. So I want to invite you to watch this video of Gracia Burnham speaking to Pastor David Platt. Gracia's husband, Martin, was martyred a number of years, years ago in the Philippines where they were serving as missionaries. At the end of May 2001, American missionaries to the Philippines, Martin and Gracia Burnham, made the fateful decision to celebrate their 18th wedding anniversary in a secluded resort on the island of Palawan. About four in the morning, there was pounding on the door, bang, 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 and at first I thought it was a drunk guard or something, and um, Martin kind of knew we were in trouble. And just as he got to the door, it burst open, and in came three guys with M16s, and I think one of them had a mask on. The masked men were Abu Sayyaf, a militant Muslim terrorist group with ties to Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. Along with 20 other guests, the Burnhams were forced from their room at gunpoint and taken many miles across the open sea to the Muslim stronghold of Basilan. For more than a year, the Burnhams were constantly on the move, living in primitive conditions in the jungle, evading capture from the Philippine military under the total control of their captors. They were the enemy, and we never forgot that they were the bad guys. But on the other hand, they were our family. They were the people that we'd lived with for a year and hiked with and starved with. And you got to know the personalities of the guys. Throughout their captivity, the Burnhams had lived through 16 different gun battles between the Abu Sayyaf and the Philippine military. On the afternoon of June 7th, over a year since their abduction, the bullets erupted once more. I dropped from the hammock and before I even got to the ground, I was shot in the leg. And I kind of slid down the mountain. It was so steep. I slid down a little bit and came to rest beside Martin. And I looked over at him, and he was bleeding from his chest. During the gun battle, you know, the grenades were going off all around us and the shooting. But I just kept thinking every moment was my last moment. And um, sometime during that time, I just felt Martin's body just get real heavy, a heaviness. Tragically, Martin was killed during the firefight. 
Gracia was rescued and returned home amidst a national spotlight. Was there no way Gracia or Martin could escape? Sean Hannity, welcome to the show. Good to have you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Well, it started as a romantic getaway for Martin and Gracia Byrne of American missionaries working in the Philippines. But for her first daytime interview, and I want to thank her for having the courage to be here today. Gracia, good to have you with us. Thank you. The outpouring of support was beyond anything Gracia could have imagined. Gracia Burnham lived through a real nightmare of fear, captivity, physical trauma, and devastating loss. Yet she has survived the ordeal more convinced of God's grace than ever before. Gracia truly has lived in the presence of her enemies, and with God's help, has learned to fly again. I uh, just recently have gotten to know Gracia Burnham enough to know that uh, that made her very uncomfortable. Um, just because the spirit of Christ is all over this sister. I, uh, well, let me, let me uh, start a little bit back. So what, is, what did your and Martin's ministry look like in the Philippines? What were you guys doing there? Oh, Martin was a jungle pilot for New Tribes Mission. Um, people that work with New Tribes Mission, who's changed their name now, Ethnos 360, work in jungle areas where roads don't go. They go into totally unreached and unreachable places. So our job was to take supplies to people who were living in the middle of nowhere sharing the gospel. And think of all the things you buy for your household in a month. We had 12 families that we would buy that stuff and box it up and take it in. And we were available for medical emergencies and to bring tribal people out when they needed it. And uh, we did that for 17 years. We loved our ministry there. They have pretty state-of-the-art airports in those areas? (laughs) Uh, No. No. (laughs) <laughs> Interesting flying. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing. I, I'm guessing you all knew that uh, that there's uh, safer places to fly mm. in the world and longer landing strips with uh, like pavement. Um, so why did you all go to the Philippines? Why use your gifts in that way? Oh, I think Martin knew that. One person can make a difference. Martin grew up in the Philippines. His parents were tribal missionaries. When they had four little children, they felt God calling them to go to an unreached people group. And they were the first foreigners ever into this group of people called the Ibaloi. And Martin grew up with that. And when he would go off to boarding school, the pilot that would come and pick him and his brothers and sisters up Uh, you know, took them in a small airplane and that began his love of flying. So when he became a a good pilot, he thought, well, I should just use my gifts for something that matters. And he, he became a missionary pilot. I think if I could just pause for a second there, I was thinking about this. Like, let's get the picture of a brother and sister who are pursuing Christ, obedience to Christ. It's not just like thrill-seeking, hey, we want to go do some cool flying, but it's we want to obey Christ. And if that means we let go of comforts, then we want to obey Christ. If that means we let go of safety, and this is not a place, yeah, not, a, not the easiest job flying-wise, but we're going to let go of that because we're obeying Christ. So 
obviously that wasn't all that the Lord would call you to let go of in the days to come. So how have you seen suffering as a gift? Oh, I think God gave me the gift of suffering in order to change me. And I didn't even realize that I needed changed mm. until everything was gone and everything but Martin was mm. taken away from me. And there in the jungle, I began to see a gratia that I didn't even want to believe existed. Uh, mm. I saw a hateful gratia. I saw a gratia that thought God had abandoned us. Um, it was shocking what happened in my heart. And when I saw that, I began to cry out to God, God, would you change me? Because I was such a mess, I didn't even think he could. Mm. But of course, God can do anything, and he promised to change us. And he started teaching me really good things in the jungle. Forgiveness, kindness, love, joy, peace, you know, all those things that, that you want to be in your heart. And I wonder if it's things that never would have happened if I hadn't had my jungle experience. Hmm. So looking back, uh, in light of all that happened, uh, do you regret going to the Philippines? Um, no, I, I don't regret going to the Philippines. We love the Philippines and our hearts are still there. Hmm. Uh, one of the last things Martin said to me, we were hiking, a long day of hiking, and I was so discouraged, as I often was. And I said, you know, I, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And Martin said, Gracia, I've been thinking about Psalm 100 all day long, especially that first verse that talks about serving the Lord with gladness. He said, this doesn't seem like serving the Lord. We've been walking through this jungle for over a year. But let's, by faith, accept that that's what we're doing here, that we're serving God here, and let's do it with gladness. And minutes later, the military came over the hill, opened fire on us, and he was dead. It was like God's, God's words to me through Martin, his mm -hmm. final charge. And so I can carry that with me. You know, what, whatever God calls me to do now, I'm going to do it with my whole heart. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it with gladness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As we come toward the end of today's message, you too can experience this radical change of life I've spoken of today, experiencing joy and peace in the ho and hope in the midst of it all. But as it costs Jesus Christ is all for us, it will cost you your all for him. For those of you online, I invite you to contact any of our team, and we can tell you more how you too can experience this radical life I've talked about today. And you can do so by texting LIFE at 587-323-1199. Or you can call our church office at 780-462-8444. Or email us at info at calvarycommunity.ca. And for those of you here on site, our team will be here up at the front, on the platform, and in the foyer to meet you afterwards if you wish. Let us now close together in prayer. Thank you, God, for today's message. It was hard on me, and I expect hard on others of us as well. And yet we all needed to hear it and to now apply it. I pray we will take to heart what you have said to us today through your word, and that we will invite you to so work in our lives that we will live for you, suffer as needed for you, 
and if called upon, to even die for you. We thank you. We can pray this in the name of the one who gave us all for us, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us today in-house, online. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any further questions or are in need of assistance, don't hesitate to contact the church office. You can find more information on our website at calvarycommunity.ca. And as always, you can join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. on our Facebook and YouTube page or at calvarycommunity.ca live. We'll see you next week.